Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. Welcome back to the LARCast. Uh, you are joined by myself, Tony, and Russ. What's going on, Russ? It's going, man. It's going. <laughs> Good to hear your voice, man. We uh we got some zizzle zazzle this morning uh, because if you've been following the LARCast, you know that we um, just got done with 50-some episodes um, in the Gospel of John. Uh, went from chapter one all the way to the end of 21. We finished that last week. And somewhere in the middle of John's gospel, we were kind of, you know, saying, man, where should we go next? And we realized that we've never podcasted on the book that you and I wrote together. It's called mm -hmm. Reclaim. Uh, we went through that uh, in podcast form quite a bit in our old podcast. Um, but since we kind of shifted to Lark and the Larkcast, we've never got into it. And we were like, dang, man, we should probably dive into that because we're wondering with all the new listeners and people who are kind of like new to Lark and, mm -hmm. and the Larkcast that some of them don't even really even know, A, that we wrote a book and then like the whole story behind that, which is what we're going to get into. But also, man, like that was like the flagship kind of like conversation that we were having that really kind of spurred this whole movement um, and this whole crew known as Lark uh, on. And we said, hey, we need to do this. And that's what we're doing. That is exactly what we're doing. Exactly what we're doing. Like a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So literally you guys need to know that, um, yeah, this, uh, this resource reclaim is available on Amazon. If you type in reclaim sourcey, it comes up quicker. And the only reason I say that is because there's less letters in, in my last name than yours, but you could also <laughs> type in reclaim Johnson. <laughs> it's true. That's true. If you're looking for, to read the good reviews, just type in reclaim Johnson. <laughs> but Amazing. as we've said before whenever you do do a quick little google search for this or like amazon naturally is a place to go and that's where you'll find it it's front page you just got to scroll down there's going to be a couple of um a couple of novels that are apparently called reclaim that we didn't know mm -hmm. about yes so you'll notice those and it's gonna the pictures on the covers will look like us but just don't be confused just Keep scrolling and you'll see like reclaim. Oh yeah, Russ Johnson, Tony Sorcy. That's the one. Yeah, ladies, guard your heart and bounce your eyes on Amazon as you're uh, scrolling through. <laughs> Do you remember you're when we see, found that? You're gonna Wait, see some washboard abs. Um oh, dude. in some of the uh, you know, some of those steamy novels. But uh no, man, reclaim is something that you and I are extremely proud of. And before, long before, it was um, a paperback book available for all. It was, <laughs> it existed in a heap of 
uh, PDFs and uh, scratch on, you know, scribble scratch on napkins and, oh, yeah, you know, dude. other various things. And um, Reclaim, it, it, we didn't just like one day, like sit down and say like, hey, let's write a book. It really kind of like evolved into that going back to uh, 2013 with your story and then 2014 of when the time when I met you. So I think it would just be helpful for people to hear just kind of like how this thing even came about being a book, mm -hmm. being a resource and being available. Yeah. It's, you know, like, what is it? Why, why does it exist? Who's it for? Why should I buy this? Why should I read this? Why should I listen to what you guys are saying about this? These are all valid questions. And for me, the story could go back to ironically 10 years ago. So it's 2013 living in Chicago, pastoring in Chicago, uh, we, um, saw a number of cool things happen in and through this church, which is continuously just kept hitting the same wall that I found, you know, in leading other churches, but also the same wall that I was finding in meeting with other pastors and doing some travel various places. And what it just came down to is there is a vast growing society that has no interest in church, but a growing interest in Jesus. It's probably the best way now to put it. People that we just kept meeting always seemed to be actually very open to the conversation of Jesus. It was actually mm -hmm. very rare to ever bump into anyone who wasn't. Um, but they just didn't want anything to do dude, with institutional church. Mm -hmm. So for a while there, the idea was like, oh, man, that's why you got to move it into the home, you know, or you meet like in a pub or a coffee shop, you know, right? that and man, they'll all love that. They'll all come. And it was like, yeah, that doesn't seem to work. Right. We've tried all that and they grow, but they primarily grow through people who want to go to church. So one night <clears throat> I'm sitting at a, at a bar called Geo's in my neighborhood with a guy in my neighborhood that I've just been hanging with man, passing on good news to. And he, um, kind of going through some stuff in life, man, and kind of having this kind of cool, raw, honest moment conversation about his life, my life, good news, God meeting us where we are. And I'm looking around this bar, man. And it's like, People are almost like sitting by themselves, right? They've got some wings in front of them. They got a beer in front of them. They're looking up at a ball game somewhere. A couple of them are talking to each other. And I'm noticing like different faces and people I've talked to, and none of them are open to coming to the church that I lead. None of them, but they'll all sit here and have conversations with me about good news. Mm -hmm. And it just, I guess for me, that was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Mm -hmm. It was just this moment of, what what does it take man how how do i how do we find the freedom to actually just go be friends in and among people the way jesus was friends among people mm -hmm. and recline at tables and hang out and have moments of laughter and tears and joy and celebration and pain and sorrow the whole midst of right the whole muck of life man and be able to just walk with them in that but everything that i knew to do in the name of church wouldn't allow it and the people yeah. that I was equipping for that approach, like there was always this barrier. And I think out of that, I just started really taking what I was learning in the scripture and I just started breaking it down into seems like different buckets, you could say. Okay, like, like different like core truths at the heart of the faith, at the heart of discipleship, church, ministry, um, the rest that we're looking for. 
And I just kept finding the discrepancy between what I knew and was always teaching what everyone else kind of knew in the church world. And then seeing like, oh man, this isn't like, you can move where you're meeting as a church if you want, but it's irrelevant because at the end of the day, it's oftentimes what we're actually saying, which means it's ultimately below that. It's what we're believing. Mm -hmm. That seems to be either the barrier to what, it could be in the name of Jesus, or it's the linchpin, right? That opens up a whole flood of opportunity and in, in this whole new way of life that's found in Jesus. Mm -hmm. So I just started writing things down, man. And I guess for me, that's sort of the birthplace of the idea of, of reclaim, which is why when we met, dude, there was like lots of chicken scratch and napkins and <laughs> random word documents and yeah. Yeah, so I think like early on, you were um, the thing that really spurred this. The initial thought was, man, there are a ton of people in this world who are just never going to walk through the doors of a church. Yeah. Or if it's even an organized like missional community or small group or Bible study or whatever, they're just not interested in coming into the conversation through that front door, but they're very, very open to friendship. Yeah. And so I think it it's not odd to think like, well, yeah, man, like good news and people awakening, you know, to the love of God through friendship and conversation. We're open to that, but as a way of the church or even mm -hmm. as a definition of the church as friendship, that's a massive, massive barrier and mm -hmm. so you had to kind of like you were working through like your own hurdles and your own internal um i would say lawyer you know or like theologian oh, yeah. right that's kind of you know saying no man it's you know this corporate gathering that's got to have this structure and it has to meet on this day and has to meet in this way and it has to have this kind of you know order of service so you start wrestling through through that and you're really asking yourself and do I, do we have the freedom to do this yeah. and is just church as people, church as friendship, church as conversation, shared meals. And can we come around something that's much more simple so that we can actually be freed up for these friendships instead of giving ourselves to something that constantly wants to monopolize our time. It constantly yeah. wants us to take the next step and jump in here. And it frames like what a healthy quote unquote Christian is. Um, it frames that in terms of like your activity in the building. Mm -hmm. And if any of you who are listening to this, know if you've come into this conversation by way of, yeah, you gave a massive portion of your life to your local church, you'll realize that if you, if you say yes to every single thing that they're putting in front of you, which by the way, they're framing, Hey, this is what healthy Christianity looks like. You'll find out that all your time is going to be stuck in that building. And then the programs of that place. And then we still would have the nerve to come up and say like, Oh, Hey, by the way, you should be like loving your neighbor. And it's like, well, dude, like I work a job, I have a family, I'm doing all this stuff. Like how the heck am I going to have time to actually slow down? and meet my neighbors yeah. and hear their stories and jump into the place and the community where I live. So that was like the first thing that was really rubbing you. Right. 
yeah, yeah, I was yeah. just kept finding more and more fruit in in and among neighbors through conversations and meals, grabbing a beer and watching people come alive, even watching people come to faith. Right. After years, man, like one of the churches I led in Asheville, North Carolina, and then moving to Chicago, saw the same thing there. And there was just this endless barrier. Like there's this thing in you that always feels like you've got to, but you've got to figure out a way to get them plugged into this other thing. Right. And so there's this idea of the churches as a community that's over here that we got to get them to. And when they re just continually refuse that, you're like, well, well, man, we got to change the approach. You know what I mean? And we're just kind of constantly tweaking this idea that we have of this institutional church. And at the end of the day, it just never meets them where they are. And don't mishear me. You will find people are going through like really hard things in life seem to always be very open to the conversation of Jesus and what he's like yeah. and what he's done. And so I see, you know, you're going to always see people moving to new cities and they don't know anybody. And so they go plug into the institutional church or people are going through something really hard in life and they grew up in the church in the past. And so they know like this is somewhere to go back to. So yeah. you're, you're going to continue to see that, but. And, our, and large, just to pause and say, like, we celebrate that. We're thankful for that. Like, that's, that's great. Yeah. We're, yeah, we're not here to. For people to, on a personal level. That. Yeah. It's just um, the vast majority of society. That's not their story anymore. And right. that's not decreasing. That is increasing rapidly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so as someone who just had a heart for people outside and uninterested in this thing that we've created in the name of Jesus, which mm -hmm. I don't think is sinful, but it's what we often do isn't in the scripture. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, yeah, I think we're actually free. I think faith actually is the freedom that Jesus said it was. And it was for freedom that he set us free, as the scriptures say. And I think that freedom is an unplanned life of faith that actually looks like the unplanned life of faith that you see in Jesus. It's odd how you watch Jesus through this through the Gospels, okay, and how he goes about this life of faith, how he goes about being human, how he goes about living into the very thing we were created to live into. And then you look at what we do in the name of faithfulness, and they're they're opposite. Like that's so weird that. God would show up in flesh and live the life of faith and have all this time and margin and patience to live in and among these people. His dude, think about this. His life is, it's unplanned. He's only doing, he says, I only do what I see my father doing. That's in a moment. So it's unplanned. He's unworried in his entire approach. He, he's like that, that worry that we carry about like fixing all these people around us. He doesn't seem to have it at all. Right. He's unhurried. He's not in a rush. In fact, when they're like, yeah, man, we should rush on out of here. These are the Samaritans. He's like, oh, I don't know. Let's just stick around for a few days, hang out mm -hmm. with these enemies and share meals. Yes. He's unhurried. Um, and I'm just going to throw this one in there. The entire movement that starts to form in and around what he's saying is unnamed. And then I'm looking at what I'm doing and I'm like, well, it's uh, very planned. It's very worried. It's very hurried. And it definitely is branded. And therefore I have to build and manage this thing. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, what gives? Mm -hmm. and what I ultimately found was um, it's language. And I think that's why I started writing stuff down that very night at Geo's bar. I started thinking through what are the beliefs that we hold in the name of Jesus, these prominent cultural beliefs that are just so popular that we hold on to 
that's keeping so many people who claim him. One way to think about it, like I grew up by the water, so this is like a, a thing for me, but just a quick illustration that it keeps these beliefs keep us at port. Our boats are tied up at port. There's a safe harbor around it. You know what I mean? We're not going anywhere. We're, we're on the boat and we're, we're rocking because it's, you know, there, there's, there's waves and we can hear the seagulls and you can smell the salt in the air. And so it, everything feels like this is good and normal and right, but you're just, you're just sitting in a boat, man, that's tied up port. And what's nuts is these beliefs that we hold on to are what keeps us in this place, keeps us from the freedom, keeps us from the way of friendship that we find in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And simultaneously, when we do pass on things to the neighbors that are in around us, when we, you know, when we do set out to do ministry and try to get these people to come to our thing, it's what we're saying to them about what God is like and what he's done and what it means to follow him that's keeping them at bay. So they're out there at bay with no interest in coming into the port and we're stuck in the port. You know what I mean? And when it's just like this, man, it it really does come down to what we believe. Yeah, I was and, gonna say, like it it seems like that initial that initial thing was stirring for you was more built out of a, a need and the impractical um and shackled nature of what the church was, you know, telling people about their time, about maturity, um, you know, about having true saving faith and being an actual disciple of Jesus didn't allow for any of these kinds of friendships or any of these beers or meals or conversations. And so you're wrestling with freedom there, but I think that that quickly gave way to, discovering freedom theologically too yeah yeah it's kind of weird it's it's like the the practical stuff that you were kind of experiencing on the edge is what drove me back to the center so it's like what 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 i was taught in the name of ministry and found actually be very effective in doing all these things out here you know around the edge and trying to move out it's it's funny to watch it the only way to actually move forward was to move backwards. <laughs> like the future was actually ancient. Mm -hmm. It was, you, you have to go back. We need what is old to be new again. And I, I'm going to say that for two reasons. One, my for my initial reason, it was just this heart for people outside and uninterested. I know that Jesus alone is life. He's joy. He's purpose. He's meaning. Dude, he's origin, he's destiny, he's everything, man. Mm -hmm. Everything. Everything you're longing for, you already have and found in him. And by faith alone, right, we awaken to this reality and begin to live in it. And, it's, and so I have this heart for people knowing this. That was my story, dude. I, I wrote about it in the intro of Reclaim. Coming a believer through a friend on a freight dock, man, because I was that guy never going to go to your church. Mm -hmm. My girlfriend, who's now my wife of 25 years, was someone who was never going to go to your church. Mm -hmm. And through this friendship, I became a believer in Jesus. She did. And then we saw family members and friends who were never going to go to church become believers through our friendship and conversations with them. So I just, that was number one reason, like the thing that was driving me. But what I have found, this is why I said two reasons. What I have found over the years is 
I also am passionate about this because of my own story. You think that by grabbing onto what Jesus has really said and done and learning to live into that, that it's all, you know, it's, it's, it's for them. It's for them. It's for those people over there. Dude, I had no idea how incredibly life-changing it was for my own story. Mm -hmm. I felt like that's for me is where faith actually became alive. That's where freedom actually became a gift instead of a goal. Formation was a joy. You know what I mean? It was, it was a, it was a life of trust instead of this endless toil that I was taught. And that, that, like that center theological understanding, man, of God is nature, salvation, grace, faith, growth. That sets the foundation for discipleship, church, and ministry. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, in our years of, you know, travel and, you know, doing, doing workshops, um, which before, you know, I was traveling around with you, uh, doing workshops. Um, I attended one and that started that same kind mm -hmm. of fire, that same stirring, you know, that was in you is very true to my, you know, story as well. And I didn't really like grab onto, you know, everything. And it was still kind of like stirring and being formed in you as well. But that led to us sitting down at Kuma's Corner on the north side of Chicago, where we shared <laughs> our very first uh, zombie dust together. Yeah, and dude. um zombie dust had just just had come out, uh three Floyds released it. It kind of was like a unicorn beer, and it was summer. I had a couple friends with me and stuff like that. I was on staff at a church. Um, and I was just I can't, I can't, not all my questions were answered. And I certainly, you know, all my wrestlings and my internal, you know, arguments um, that I had to kind of like work through and overcome uh, were still there, but it was something that I very much, um, you know, connected with. Um, but before we got around to, you know, doing all these, you know, workshops, um, or when we started doing the workshops, what we found is when we started to talk about these kinds of things with uh, church folks, denominational leaders, you know, like all these kind of like the who's who in this world, yep. they just, they, all they wanted was like uh, the plan. Give me yes. the plan. Give me the, give me the, give me the charts. Give me the, the graph. Give me the thing that you're really going to find in um, reclaim seven and eight. We just kind of talk practically of how the church really could kind of form and be involved in a city and in the community in light of this freedom that we have in, in Jesus. And that thing was a little bit more complicated, you know, on the front end and we saw, mm -hmm. saw people like interacted with it and, and we've, we've tweaked it and, and stuff like that. But all they really wanted was, was that like, give me the secret sauce, like, tell me like how to do this. And if you, if you grab a copy of Reclaim or if you've read it, it doesn't start that way at all. No. It no. doesn't start. It doesn't start that way at all. We really start to work through all the barriers that you are going to have before mm -hmm. you get to a place where you in your mind and in your heart have peace about understanding the church, its nature as a, a, a people and a way of friendship and really the mission it's given as people 
and a way of friendship. We go through all the things that are going to keep you from grabbing onto that. And the reason we go through that is because that's our, that was our own internal struggle, you yeah. know, or we're kind of, it's our like biography, you know, so to speak. It really is. So as we, you go through reclaiming, we're asking these questions and, and we're, you know, showing from the scriptures that man, really we've kind of had, you know, repentance wrong. We've had good news wrong. We've had uh, Jesus and the Trinity and the life of the Trinity wrong <laughs> right? and all these kinds of things. That's really us like our writing and arguing with um, ourselves. That's why still to this day, like, dude, if you want to come and like have an argument with us, if you want to come and like go toe to toe on this, like you better pack a lunch, dude, because for you and I to get to a place where we're cool with this, dude, you're not going to find a bigger critic than who yeah. we ourselves were for each other. Yeah. And it was our livelihoods, man. Yes. I mean, we were both people who were very successful in the church world. So there was, it's just, you know, sad, man, but there's, you know, there's a notoriety in that, right? You're known, yeah. man, and you're invited to speak and help, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm consulting this church over here. I'm training these three new churches over here. I got a denomination. Mm -hmm. that's asking me to rethink their whole idea of church over here. And, so there's a notoriety in it. There's a pay in it. There's, you know, support for our families, our livelihoods, all the yeah. time to do this kind of work. And man, when you start really taking Jesus at his word and letting it say what it says, it, it eventually becomes the most life-giving, joyful, freeing thing I've ever encountered. But there is a death along the way. Mm -hmm. And I'd never it never really occurred to me why Jesus was so adamant that, that, that the religious will, they will, they will hate you for saying this because they've hate, they hate me for what, for me saying it, mm -hmm. you know, as we just talked about recently on, you know, in the podcast about, you know, towards the latter part of John, like it plainly says there was the religious leaders out of their duty to the law that killed Jesus. Yep. Like the law nature in us does not want this. There's no control in it. Yeah. But yet it's so life-giving because the life God's actually given us isn't a life of control. Yep. And so you're right, dude. We did what people don't, a lot of people don't understand. And I just want to make this known. Reclaim is something I started writing down and working through and teaching. Met you really early on. You come in, it's all this jumbled thing. And together we really worked hard on it to formalize it into nine truths. So you've got nine truths at the, sort of at the heart of this discovery and what life could be, what church could be. Um, there are more truths just to be clear, but we just found like these were the core of it. And dude, we worked on this, wrote this, taught this, implemented this, lived this. Okay. Came back to the drawing board with new conclusions and pushbacks and lack of clarity here and need for clarity there. And that was an ongoing thing for like, what, six years, mm -hmm. six years of writing, rewriting. This isn't yep. something that was made in a vacuum. Yes. This isn't a couple guys who went and spent all the day in coffee shops with headphones in. Right. And just typed up a book and put it out there, man. This is, yep. This is a lifelong work that I'm excited about. And I think if, if you're listening to this and your heart is, I'll just put it like this. I had somebody recently say, man, I was watching this chosen, this show. I'm like, yeah. And they said, I've, 
I'm watching this episode in The Chosen, and there's a scene where Jesus is at Mary's house. And there's like all these misfits there. The religious people are up in arms about it. But Jesus is like reclining at the table with all these misfits. And there's this scene where she like doesn't know what to do. And he's empowering her to, to lead in this. And, and there's this like celebration of good news in it with people that you don't think should belong. But yet Jesus is making it so clear that they do. And there's this discovery of faith and life and joy and friendship that's all taking place. And man, I, why, why has that never been my experience in the name of faith? Why has that never been my experience in the name of following Jesus? Why has that never been my experience in the name of, you know, quote unquote church? I want to live what I see Jesus living I'm not talking about the perfect nature of Jesus. I'm just talking about the simplicity of a life of faith, freedom, and friendship. Right. But I, every time I start to go down that road, I'm going, I know it's in the scripture. I know this is what I'm watching Jesus do. This is how he lived. But there's this thing in me that just can't get there. And when I start to get there, I got Aunt Susie and my mom and my brother-in-law who are yelling at me. And I got my old small group leader who's saying, I'm a... (laughs) I'm not even a believer anymore. And what do I do? And, and I'm like, yeah, I, we get it. But just know you're in good company because grabbing onto these things is a, is an actual process of grabbing onto what is true of what is actually in the scripture mm-hmm. and by faith, daring to live, daring to live it. Empowering yep. you for that is what reclaim is. Mm-hmm. And that's what our, Man, that's what these upcoming podcasts, right? Episodes are going to be about. We're going to be walking through these truths at the core of this movement of Jesus, at the core of what, what this book is. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and you, I think um, some of my favorite interactions that we've had over the years as we've traveled and met people and as they've reached out to us and, you know, made connections through social media, you know, email, text people we've met along the way on the road. Um, some of my my favorite stories are the people that come to us and say, um, reclaim and what you guys are saying isn't so much um isn't so much like me learning like something like altogether new. Like definitely like learning from you guys. You guys have like worked through some things and no doubt, like, you know, appreciate that and and some of the passing on some of your discoveries, but man, like you're just putting language to how I've just kind of always felt. Hmm. Oh, this like this subtle, unspoken, just kind of like gut feeling about things. You guys have put language to that. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't really know, but like, yeah, I have those same pushbacks or had those same instincts or maybe this one verse over here was like a barrier to me really like seeing that and you guys took that thing and like dismantled it completely you know and said not only does it is not say that it's saying this other thing you know over here and I think that that's um you know those are always my my Mm. favorite ones yeah dude the the role that language plays right it's it's sort of the, the core of this thing, man. It's the core of it. It's it's the the light bulb, I feel like, that, that gets turned on. 
all of a sudden you read something and right you hear something and something that's always been true that's sort of set muddled there it is and you know we we sometimes in the past we've talked about this a lot but we've called it like the blue square moment <laughs> yeah it's probably one of my favorite illustrations of just the power of language and i'll just take a minute i'm just going to take a minute dude and just and just sort of share that what i mean by that is language doesn't we we've learned over the years that language doesn't determine what something is but it does determine what we think about it so you know until recent times um there was evidence that humans didn't see the color blue. I remember hearing this story, man, as we were working through and writing out Reclaim, somebody brought that up to me. And I was like, wait, wait, what? He goes, yeah, man, like the language and like the role that it plays and what you guys are doing. And it makes me think about this story about how people apparently didn't used to see the color blue. And I'm like, dude, are you like, what, what like, what's in that vape, man? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I just kind of sat there like, kind of like, what, what? And he said, yeah, on serious note, and he sent me this article and I dug into it and dug into the backstory of it. And apparently back in the 1800s, there was a scholar named William Gladstone who noticed that in describing the ocean in the classic essay, the, the Odyssey, Homer, okay, never used the word blue. And this dude's like, huh, that's odd. And so intrigued, you know, by his observation in, in writing about this there's this philologist which is someone who studies language this guy's name is lazarus geiger he began to analyze ancient languages to see if there was any validity to what william was talking about and he so he studied like icelandic hindu chinese arabic and hebrew text to see if the word color blue showed up and to his surprise there's no mention of the word it's not there so this dude's like holy cow it's okay Some, something's going on here and he's like, so he, he kind of pulls this together and he writes down this question. He goes, does this mean our ancestors weren't capable of seeing the color blue? So to find out years later, a guy named Jules Davidoff, who's a psychologist from Goldsmiths University of London. In 2006, he sets out to do a study with the Himba tribe in Nambia. All right. It's a modern day tribe that he found actually doesn't have the word blue in their language. He's like, all right, we got something. Let's let's find out. So he sets out on this connection between language and sight. And and he basically sits this, goes, meets with his tribe. He's got a number of research analysts that are working with him, and they sit everybody down one by one with a card that has 11 squares on it. All right, 11 squares. And 10 of them are green, and one is obviously blue. And so the request is very simple. Which one of these squares is different from the others? Not one person from the Himba tribe was able to spot the difference, dude. Not one. So that's a like, what? Are you being serious? He's like, yeah. So he's like, all right, we are going to have to reverse this to find out what's really going on, just to really make sure this isn't just something we're, you know, we're trying to grasp at. And so they sit down with English speaking people and they do the same thing. All right. And of course, it's, you know, a very quick, you know, clear understanding, you know, English speakers and members of the Himba tribe. And <clears throat> excuse me, dude, my allergies this morning. And he sits them down with 11 green squares. Okay. The Himba tribe, another experiment. And on this one, he's got 11 green squares. All right. All the same color. I'm sorry, 10 of them, all the same color. One of them is like a hint, like just a hint of shade different. 
sits them all down and he says, which one's different? Every single person from the Himba tribe, one by one, was able to spot the difference in that green square like that. Mm -hmm. Just like that. Everyone. It was a perfect study. Perfect as in perfect, you know, stats that came from it. Yeah. And so he's like, all right, what is it, man? Like, what's going on here? And so in his study of the Himba tribe, he found that they had a number of words in their language for the color green, far beyond anything that we have in English. And he starts to connect some of these dots. And the conclusion was that our ancestors not see the color blue. We don't, and you know, we can't say for sure, but what we can say according to all this analysis is that they apparently did not see it the way we do until there was language for it. Right. Language actually determines not what is, but what we think about what is, what we actually see. Yeah. And I think that's, to me, that's like what the parables, man, are all about. Well, it's like you grow up your whole life. You know, a lot of us were, you know, born into a cultural understanding of, of what church is. Yeah. Or even a cultural understanding or a tribal understanding of what God is, is like. And mm -hmm. that becomes kind of like, you know, your standard baseline for how you're seeing things. So of course, like looking over at a group of people just sitting around some food, you know, or like Jesus, as you described him in this chosen series in a home food, you know what I'm saying? Like all that, you're not going to look at that and point to it and say, that's the church because as a little kid, you drove Dude. past these buildings. So good. Um, off Great of, point. You know, the road and, and from a young age, someone was like, no, that's the church. Oh, we're going to church. Yep. And so it's a hard pill to swallow understanding that a lot of your, um, a lot of the things that are so concrete, you know, in your mind and in your heart, and you think are, you know, right out of the scriptures are actually just a cultural understanding of what, you know, that thing is. And then you bring that cultural lens, you know, to, um, to the scriptures. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, just being able to have somebody say, you know, actually, well, look at this over here and then just put some fresh language to something that really has been just right under your nose. You actually see right in the life of Jesus. You actually see right in the life of, you know, those who wrote and came after him, who were talking about, you know, this fresh movement and the melee, everything that came after, you know, the resurrection and the ascension. Reclaim it's, functions in a, in a similar, in yeah. a similar way. Yep. Yep. That's, I, that's it, man. That's, that's what it is, dude. It's a journey through nine truths where we use the undiluted language of Jesus and the scripture, letting them say what they actually say, Let them, letting them be as raw and as reckless as they really are. Because as you and I both know, and I feel like all of our listeners know, um, we live in a time where spiritual anxiety, it sells, bro. It sells and spiritual assurance sits on the shelf. <laughs> and, and, and it's just sad and so i feel like re, you know reclaim and lark in general right is set out to 
to help people explore the undiluted language of Jesus, the language that Jesus used to reveal the God we thought we knew. Mm -hmm. That's this. And we, we've seen it empower people, man, from coast to coast and in other countries, people who have awakened to man, this, this life of faith, what the church could be, dude, it's beautiful. It's life-giving, man. It's life-giving. Um, when we let him, when we let that be what it actually is, Mm -hmm. that's reclaim. Yep. That's this next series podcast. (laughs) So if you are, if you are listening, know that that's where we're going. We're going to be using, um, reclaim and the table of contents as a, you know, a guide through this, um, go ahead and grab yourself a copy. If you want to read, read through it as we're, you know, going through these discussions, I'm sure that that would be um you know pretty cool for you but just know dude like this is you're gonna you're gonna experience some tension we're actually saying something you know in in here um we're gonna be chipping away at some of the foundational things that you believe um you're probably going to you're probably gonna cuss at us in your head or out loud uh, you might even write us an email where you actually yeah. cuss at us or um, you um, you cuss at us in a Christian way, um, which is calling us, you know, nasty Christian words like uh, heretics and blasphemers. Yeah. And uh, those those are the <laughs> those are the F words in the in the, in the Christian world. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're definitely saying something and it's it's going to be it's um it's not this popularly written book to try to get everyone in a soft way to grab on to something small. Um, we're coming, we're coming for the throat of a lot of things that we hold near and dear to our hearts who are, that are actually not helping you at all. And they're not helping your neighbors either. They're hurting. Um, and we, we know that and we let in that, that world. And so as two dudes who are on the other side of all that frustration, throwing books up against the wall and wrestling through, you know, all the questions, um, we hope our, our journey written down in this book is an encouragement to you. And hopefully you yeah. might see something. Hopefully you might see the color blue for the first time in your life. Amen, dude. Amen to that. I'm excited. I'm excited where this is going to that. I say with you, my friend. Cheers. Cheers.